Well, again, great to see you. Great to see if you're watching online. I'd like my, my talk today to be a little bit interactive, so I will throw some questions out to you. You can put your hand up. You can shout out a little bit if you're good and loud, but just do, when I ask you a question, do, do answer it. But let's just take a moment to breathe. I don't know how, how much quiet you have in your life. Um, I think sometimes in, in worship, quietness and stillness is, is hard to find. You know, we, we, we sometimes sing, you know, in the stillness, in the, in the secret place you're there, but we don't make a lot of secret places of stillness. So let's just take a moment of, of stillness. And in that time, a moment just to say to God, this is what's on my heart now, I give it to you. Or maybe a chance to listen to what's on his heart for us. Let's take a moment. In the stillness, you're here, and you show us yourself, and you show us ourselves as well. You show us things that we need to remember and recognize. Speak to us, Lord God, today. Amen. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. It wasn't on the set list for the worship team today, but honestly, our, our sermon today is, what is the greatest commandment? What's the first commandment? That was a question that Jesus was asked, and he said, love. All you need is love. That's what he said. He didn't sing it, but basically he said, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's at the heart of it all, Jesus says. Everything else hangs on this. This is, this is what faith, this is what the law, this is what following God, it's all about love. All right, good. <laughs> Let's go home. Honestly, what questions does it raise for you, this, this sense that the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? Does that raise any questions for anyone here? Any tension points around that? Okay, so it's just difficult. Okay, good. We'll, we'll talk about that. Truly. What? Yeah, that, that, yeah, we'll try and unpack a little bit. How do you love God? Any other questions? Complicated. Really complicated, isn't it? I mean, actually... Even ourselves are in conflict. Sometimes our heart and our head are sometimes in conflict in any case, aren't they? Loving God. I mean, I think for me, one of the basic ones is, can you command someone to love someone? I mean, we could do a little exercise today. I could say, I command you, please, I command you to stack the chairs and put them in rows of eight against the wall. And you could do that. But if I said... I command you to love Nigel Savage. I mean, it's a lot harder, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, we don't often command people to love one another. I mean, we, we say get on, be nice, play nicely. But the command to love one another is tricky, isn't it? Because love doesn't feel like that. It feels like an emotion. 
doesn't it? It feels like something that, that we can't just turn it on. It's, it's, it, yeah, does he feel like that? So is it a bit unreasonable of God to say, my command is that you love me? Okay. I mean, to serve God, yes, because you're right. But to love you, I mean, honestly, but, the, but the, the, why, does, why does God command us to love him? What, why? Any, any suggestions? Okay, well, for God, we, yeah, because God first loved us. Okay, so there's something about when someone loves you that it's appropriate to love them back. All right, that's, that's a good point. Any, any other reasons why we should love God? Okay, so thanks, Jane. There's, a, there's a, a, a kind of thankfulness element to loving God. Is that what you mean by he protects us? Okay, all right. So if we love God first, there's a single-mindedness, which is good for us because it helps us navigate all the other loves, some which might be fickle, deceptive and unhelpful. All right, because God is intrinsically worth loving. Honestly, there's some things which if you don't respond positively, you're a Philistine, you know. If you, probably, you know, if you, if you go to um, the Grand Caddy, don't say, that is amazing. There's probably something wrong with you. <laughs> or if you go to an, a magnificent building like the Taj Mahal, say, that's, that, you know, that, that's all inspiring. Probably you, you're missing something there. And maybe if we... If we don't love God, maybe we're missing something about God. Not just that he's awe-inspiring, actually, but that the very essence of God is that God is love. And there's something about loving God, which means having fellowship with him, which means if he's love, then we love, and that brings a unity between us. We're on the same page, we're on the same wavelength, you know? And I think... What the Bible tells us about God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is that God himself is love. The shortest but best definition of God in the Bible is God is love. And if God is love, and, and we're called to, to follow him and imitate him somehow, we, we've, we've got to kind of love him. But so, so there's all kinds of, uh, kind of reasons why we should love God, which we've, we've, we've understood, you know. But um, it is a big deal, isn't it? And um, it's not only just that loving God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength is, is a big deal, but Jesus keeps raising the bar about love. So he actually says, you know, about love, love one another as I've loved you. And, and the way that Jesus loves with all his heart, soul and mind and strength is a bit more full on than me, because my heart, soul, mind and strength is a little bit limited. <laughs> anyway, so... It, there's, there's, a, there's a really high bar. So let's try and unpack what it means to, to do this. Let me, hello, what am I saying here? Okay, so here's the first thing. Love is not just an emotion. Now, it's wedding season coming up now. We, we, yesterday, Joe and Name got married. I take a lot of weddings. And when I take a wedding, I ask people to make promises. Promises about the way they love one another, give themselves to one another. And honestly, if love was just an emotion which you couldn't help, there'd be no point in making promises. If love is something which happens to you like a disease, and then you recover from it, and you're not in love anymore, you know, if it just overwhelms you, then 
what's the point of making promises? Promises around the choices that we make in life. And what we believe about love is that love isn't just an emotion. It's also an orientation of our lives. So, I mean, how many people here have got children? Okay, a lot of you have got children. I mean, do you love your kids? All right, how many of you have ever felt like throwing a small child out of a window? Okay. My parenting manual, which I read, I've got five children, and it was a very helpful parenting book, which me and Tina read, which said, um, it's normal to feel like throwing your child out of the window. It's just not normal to do it. So, honestly, there are times when, even though you love your children with all your heart, probably, there are times when you don't love them with your emotion. You actually feel angry with them, maybe, or whatever, disappointed or a bit done in, a bit, mm, I'm just exhausted. But the orientation of your life is to love them. And so you keep doing the things that love does, the very practical thing that, that love does. You keep on feeding and clothing them and guiding them. And you try and restrain your negative emotions. You smack very gently. No, you don't even do that. But um, <laughs> you, you, you hold yourself back because your orientation is to love them, even when your feeling nature has got a bit overwhelmed. And it's, it's like that with God, actually. When we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, it's not just our emotions that we're loving God with. It's loving God with a whole orientation of ourself. We're saying, God, you are the one that we are following. You're the one that we're living our lives around. And even when we don't feel like it, or even when we feel a bit distant or absent from you, we are going to keep orientating our lives around you. We're going to keep putting on love, even when it feels like we're just putting it on. You know? In Colossians, which is a chapter I often read, um, a book of the Bible I often read at weddings, it says, put on love. And it's not saying you're just putting it on when you put it on. Rather, you are choosing to clothe yourself with love. You're choosing to, to perform those loving actions, have those loving words, seek to have those loving thoughts. And often, actually, feelings follow thoughts. That's quite good psychology, you know? And so... Feelings, the emotional side, can come on the back of our meditation on the beloved. So uh, love is an orientation. I want to encourage you to have a love that is God-orientated. But love is also responsive, isn't it? Honestly, I find it easy to love people who love me. You know, sometimes people are nice to me, and I find it so much easier to love them than people are nasty to me. Anyone like that? So... Um, you know, just some, some our nine fifteen service. There was someone at our nine fifteen service who anonymous, anonymously sent me a box of cheese through the post. I found out who they were. I love them. I do. But um, <laughs> it's great cheese, actually. Um, we, we'll, we'll leave that subject aside. We love because Jesus first loved us. Someone said, and. Um, Love is responsive because God has loved us. I remember when I moved from being a believer to a lover of God. I don't know whether any of you in the room can remember that journey or are on that journey where you believed in God, but you didn't love God. I believed in God because my worldview had taught me that. I believed in God because... It actually made sense to me that there was a God. It, I believed in God because my mum and dad had taught me about God. I believed in God because I, I read the Bible and, and it made sense to me as a kid. 
that things became very personal when I believed that Jesus who died for the world actually died for me. Things became personal when I realized that I needed forgiveness and I needed the mercy of God and that God has sent Jesus for me. And I can remember the time when it changed from me believing God to loving God is when I said yes to what he'd done for me. And my heart responded to the, to the first love that God had put in my life. And what it felt like on the inside was that my heart softened. It felt like I could become a bit liquid on the inside. John Wesley, when he talked about his experience of God in um, a little chapel in London, he said, my heart was strangely warmed. And I don't know if you've had that experience of God kind of warming your heart because you've responded to the love. You realize that God who is everywhere is somewhere. The God who loves the world loves you. The God who gave Jesus his only son to save the world, gave Jesus to save you personally. And so your love is responsive. And if you've never really grasped that Jesus loves you personally, that, that he, the death of Jesus on the cross included you personally, that he could, yeah, that he died for you, <laughs> it's harder to love God. But if you've got that, it's harder not to love God, isn't it? Because we respond to his first love for us. Here's another way in which we, we, we love God. We love God because the Holy Spirit is living in us. You know, the, the Holy Spirit loves God, loves the Father, loves the Son. It's always pointed to them. And honestly, when the Holy Spirit is in our lives, he helps us to love God. He partners with us. He reminds us of the nature of God. He, he conveys to us the very essence of who Jesus is. And a spirit-filled life is a life of, of loving God, I think. So, there's, there's some things about loving God and, and how and why. I want to ask you another question, really. Um, what does a person who loves God look like? And this is not this is a shout out. Any any? Oh, you can come again. <laughs> what what does a person that loves God look like though? To you, what do you think? Shiny. Do you know someone said that at the nine fifteen service that people who love God are shiny? What does that mean? And I but are we who who gets it? Who says yeah? I know what you mean. Anyone? Okay, so there's something. A bit of a glow on people who love God. They, they kind of light up a little bit, a bit of a radiance. Maybe perhaps they're smiley, you know? But, but yeah, so someone who loves God looks a little bit shiny. Mm, that's a good, good answer. Thank you, Anita. What else, what else about this? Yeah, and Natalie. Okay, so... That's really interesting, isn't it? Somebody loves God, you, you kind of get it. You feel, oh, the family likeness there. I remember meeting a stranger and just knew they were a Christian, just straight off. We've probably had that experience. Yeah, someone at the back. What's your name? Hello, Nikki. Okay. 
That's a really great point, Nikki. So I think I don't know if you heard that, but I think Nikki was saying that we've got to be careful judging a little bit about whether someone loves God or not, because someone may be going through a valley, a shadow time. They love God, they're hanging on to God, but but you can't always tell by the outside. But okay, that's really helpful. And any other thoughts about loving God? Big beard. Big beard. Hmm. Knocks a great fear woman. Let me just. Um, I I think. I think that's the big one, actually. I think people who love God tend to be people who love other people. And I would say my experience of people who love God is that they feel warm, that they feel loving, that there's, a, there's a something about the way that they love that is a refreshment to me, that to be with them. And they may be going through a low time or whatever, you know, for sure. But there's something about people who love God tend to be people who love others. Now, Jesus said, didn't he? The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart. The second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. These two things belong together. Honestly, if you really love God, you're more likely to love others. It's not a guarantee. I know myself. You know, I, I can remember a time just as a, as a church leader where we were in a season of renewal and revival. And... Um, in the church, it was just, the presence of God was so tangible, it just felt really easy to love God. And in that moment, and in that season, some people in church, frankly, I'd found it irritating and um, challenging. I just felt love for them. Something like loving God helped me to love the people who I was finding it hard to love. And, and I, I don't know if that's normal for you, but I, I think it does, there's, there's something that follows from that one. If we love God, it's probably easier to love other people. There's an overflow that touches everything else. Conversely, if we don't love people, it's harder to love God. I have a theory about the human heart, if you like, the emotional heart, that if you harden yourself in one area, it tends to overspill to all of it. And if you open your heart in one area, it tends to open it to all other areas too. I think if you love a puppy, it's probably easier to love a person than if you hate all animals. But I, I, as I do, no, I don't. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think it's much easier to love if, if love God if you love people, and much easier to love people if you love God. And I know that if you harden your heart to someone, it might well affect your relationship with God. You can't compartmentalize. I'm going to choose to be hard and unloving here and loving the rest of it. It just doesn't seem to work like that. The hardness spreads, you know? So that's why loving God and loving your neighbor are so together. That's why receiving forgiveness from God and forgiving other people are so crucial. So I think someone who loves God looks like someone who loves their neighbor and loves it with a non-possessive warmth. You know, they're loving not because they're out to get something. It's just generous. It's kind of unconditional. Because the way that God loves us is unconditional. God is going to love you whether you follow him or not. And um, the, the, the love of, of the, that he calls us to have is, is very unconditional. So, how do we grow in loving God? So, here's a few. A few just, we've already teased this out, but I'll just summarize some of these things. I think, first of all, if we want to grow in loving God, loving our neighbor will be a help. Sometimes God will put people our way. 
And loving them is going to help us love God. A few, just a, two or three years ago, um, God put someone in my way who was um, a hopeless alcoholic. And um, he was kind of living homeless and li- living rough, and then li- lived in the Salvation Army Hospital, hostel at Logos House. And, but he became part of my life in quite a big way. And honestly, I think I loved him. And, um, but this is what I know, is that for me, being in a relationship with this guy as a helper and a bit of a pastor, I suppose, um, it also helped me love God. There's something about my love for God, which was really, God was helping me love Andy, my friend. And he was, he was just, a, I mean, he died of alcohol-related issues, and he was a hopeless drunk, really. But I could see in him something that God loved. And I think the heart of God was in that relationship, and that helped me love God. So I just want to commend that. Loving people helps us love God. It says in Proverbs, that he who lends the poor lends to God, gives to God. You know, there's something about... God counts it when we love other people. That's why Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did for me, when he talked about the, the homeless and the sick and those in prison. So let's, let's practice. And if you find it hard to love God, well, practice on someone you can see. If you find it hard to love the invisible God, practice on someone who is visible, who's tangible, who's, who's right in front of you. Second thing that helps you to, to love God, I think thankfulness helps. And why not make a habit of thanking God for the blessings he's put in your life? And as you, you know, count your blessings and name them one by one. Anyway, you you know that. (laughs) He's got a microphone, he's singing today. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, If you you do, it will help you love God, isn't it? I, I don't need to say more about that, but... But let's have that discipline of thanking God for the good things in, in life. And I think worship and meditation on God help us love him. Part of the reason we give time to worship in our services is because we're in a love relationship with God, not just a belief system. And worship helps our love for God to be reinvigorated because we're actually singing love songs to God. We're not just singing about God. We're not just singing theological treatises, though they may be helpful. We're actually, as in our whole being, when we sing, it's heart and mind and physical as well. It's our body and our rhythm and it's our spirit. And so there's something holistic about singing, which is why it's a great expression for worship and love. So if you sing with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength towards the one that you love, it might help you love the one more. And, and get meditating on, on God as well. Meditating and worship will help you love God because it's face, forward-facing. It's not about, it's two, and it's communion. And I guess, again, the Spirit fills life. I just, just said it, the Spirit fills life. I just heard, a, I just thought a great um, analogy of the Trinity. If you've ever struggled with the Trinity, by the way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, think about a piece of music. Music's got three elements. It's got melody. It's got harmony. It's got rhythm. 
You can, you can play a rhythm. You can just play the, the harmony. You can just play the melody. You play all three together, you've got a piece of music. And uh, that's, that's my little analogy of the Trinity. Just put that one in for free. Only you get that today. <laughs> um, good. Uh, I'll, I'll, the Spirit-filled life helps. And, and you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit just is, is just there to help us love God and love our neighbour. So let's, let's welcome him. And uh, what's the church that loves God like with all its heart, soul, mind and strength? I was saying in the early, early service that um, I, I heard a minister from a large church being said, what would you like for your church, love or power? And he said, power. Now, I said, I can't believe that answer. Choose love every time. Love's the greatest, isn't it? Um, Nigel said to me, There's no power. love is power. Love is powerful. Well, that's, that's true. There is something about love that is deeply powerful. That's the weapon that God used to undermine the kingdoms of this world. It was just going with sacrificial love to the cross. And love is powerful. But there's a sort of power that we can seek after that's not loving, that's just about change for change, you know. But it can be done without love. You know, we can give money without love. That's why Paul says, you give all my money to the poor. But it doesn't count for anything if it's not my love. Love's at the heart of it all. Love without power is frustrated because love wants the power to bless. And that's why we're doing the empowered course. Not because we want power, we want goosebumps, we want experiences, but we want to be able to give strength to our loving. When we pray for people who are sick because we love them, we want to see them get well. We don't just want to deposit love on them, though. Ultimately, if we leave them feeling love, that will be good. But we love more power, you know? But it's because we, it's love comes first. And honestly, if you're not, if you're here as a visitor today and you felt the love in the building, the love of God, the love of people, that's the best thing. And my prayer for us, my prayer for me, my prayer for our church is that we can have more love and more power, but particularly we can have more love. And let's seek to grow in it if we can. Let's pursue love with all our hearts. Jesus told us to make the first priority to love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Apostle Paul says, follow the way of love and then eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Let's make love our aim, our goal. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you that the power of love is real and it's expressed to us in the nature of Jesus Christ who shows us what perfect love looks like, who loves his enemies, who lays down his life, who serves, taking the very nature of a servant. And Lord, as a community of people, we want to love. Make us lovers. Make us people who practice love, who put on those good deeds, who care, but also make us people who, in our hearts, don't see people as things or objects, but people that are made in your image. In Jesus' name. And we're going to go into a love feast now, and I'll hand over to Rachel to lead us in communion.